This is a crowd podcast. I'm Sam Warburton and you're listening to Captains. This is the podcast that gives you leadership insight from some of the biggest names in sport. This week, my guest is Manchester City women's captain and former England captain, Steph Horton. I think sometimes as a leader, you don't want to show that you're vulnerable because you've been given this responsibility, you're probably shown as this strong person. It was hard, it was it was a hard watch and I love playing for my country and I wanted to be there and I feel as though I could have an influence. I went straight on holiday when I knew I wasn't going. I was like, we need to get out of England, I need to just get away. To get that news was heartbreaking, to be honest. Thanks again for listening to Captains. Really enjoyed speaking to Steph for today's episode and looking forward to sharing it with you all. Steph is the current Man City women's captain, having previously played for Arsenal, Leeds and Sunderland. At City, she has won the WSL title, four Conti Cups, three FA Cups and has been named Player of the Year twice but she is perhaps most well-known for captain in England for eight years between 2014 and 2022. However, despite pioneering the women's game in this country, Steph missed out on the Lionesses' historic win at Euro 2022, and we talk in detail about the disappointment at not being involved during that campaign. It's often at these low points we learn a lot about ourselves. It's how we respond to setbacks that set the real leaders and champions apart. Enjoy the episode with Steph Horton. So Steph, we're speaking to you just a couple of days after your Man City side is beating Chelsea to blow the title race wide open. How good is it to be involved in this league now? It's just going from strength to strength. I think to be a part of the league over the last 10 years, I think it's ten, just over 10 years, and to see where we've come from to where we are now, it's been an unbelievable journey. And for me as a player and to know that um, you've been a part of something that has changed so much and people's profiles have massively changed. People get recognised in the street. They're, they're known as an athlete. Um, it's not just one or two two of the girls. It's There's a lot more of that. But I think in terms of the coverage that we do get, it's it's well-deserved. I think people have put so much hard work in behind the scenes, but Ultimately, people want to support football and whether that is male or female football, I feel as though now we have challenged that perception and now a lot more people do know about the league and everybody knows about the title race over the next few weeks and that's great because that's a position that we always wanted to be in and and long may continue, to be honest. I think there's still a lot of work to be done, but I think to be able to have these types of conversations to see where we've come from to where we are now is great for the sport. What is it like at Man City? It's an enormous global brand now. What is it like day to day? What is the culture like at Man City? I feel as though a culture which allows everybody to be themselves is probably the most important cultures and the most enjoyable cultures I've been a part of is that no matter what goes on on the pitch, away from the pitch, people can be who they want to be and nobody's judged for maybe having a little bit of a shit day or maybe not being at their best and that never really turns into something more. And I think when you do have that kind of environment, people then thrive on the pitch massively and people that know where they stand and know their role within the team. I think especially in our sport, that's massive because people want clarity, people want to understand what their their value is. And I think once people do get that, it allows people to relax and then they just get on with what they need to do. 
I've been fortunate enough to be at Man City for 10 years now and I think what really impressed me, it wasn't just about the women's team, it was everybody that was connected to Manchester City. There was just this real big feel about the club and everybody, it did feel like a family and everybody wanted everybody to be successful, whether you were a player, a coach, a part of the support staff, people that were working on the business side of the club. It's obviously absolutely huge, the City Football Group, and to be part of Manchester City and to win the trophies that we had and to see how well the men's team have done and to kind of know that we're all under one umbrella is is really like really enjoyable place to work to be honest I think you have people that want the best for you as an individual but we really drive standards on and off the pitch and I think football fans outside of those that support Manchester City kind of really see that City are really setting this benchmark and that goes for the same on the women's side as well. Why do you think you've been captain for so long and what's brought that success? What makes you different, do you think? That's, a, that's an interesting one. You know, what? I never really ever envisaged as being a captain in my career. I think it was when I got to that, when I was 24, 25. I think the way that I play and the player that I am, I'm quite vocal. Um, I'm so passionate about the game. I feel as though I do bring energy every single day and I absolutely love people and I love trying to build them connections with people. So I think when I moved to Man City and the experience that I had and we were quite a new team and I was I was probably the right age to be a captain right then. But I think my own personal standards, I, like, I do like to lead by example. I like to be that professional on and off the pitch. I like to be that person that anybody can go to whenever there's a problem or they need a solution or they just kind of need an arm around them. And yeah, and I think that care inside of of me as a person, not just as a player. I think that's probably something that really stands out. But my professionalism and my, my will to do whatever it takes to win is probably something that that's why I have been captain so long. Interestingly, a lot of our guests have said they didn't want to be a captain or didn't envisage being a captain. Why did you not envisage yourself being a captain? I think because I was surrounded so by so many good captains and you always kind of look up to them people and you're like... God, I don't know how they do it. I don't I don't ever think that I can ever reach that level. And I've had some great people that have been captained by the likes of Fair White, um, Casey Stoney, who have been big, big parts of women's football and the journey and to being able to learn from them every single day and to know how highly I kind of hold them, um, in my opinion. I think that's why I probably never thought, oh, actually, I never would be that because how do you even copy that or how do you even reach their level but obviously as you get a little bit older you're obviously always constantly learning which I think is probably a strength of mine is that I never really sit still I never just kind of just sit on what I've achieved so far I always want to kind of continue to get better and that was certainly the case throughout my career so far. I had really good senior people I could learn off as well what did you like about Faye and Casey? I think for me first impressions probably the most important, I think, as a youngster, I was, I think I was 16 when I got first called in at the first team for England. And you kind of go in this environment where you're playing with players that you've really looked up to. And the first person to come over to was, was Fair White. And she was like, I just want you to enjoy it. Just know that I'm always here for you nice. if you need to ask any questions. And I think as a young player going into that and 
knowing that the captain of the team and who has got such a presence and an aura about her, to know that she had your back was, like, it really did settle my nerves. And, I mean, I still speak to Faye now if I ever need advice or she's always the first one to pick up the phone. If something, my injury last year, she was the first person to pick up the phone and say, you're okay if you need anything, I'm always here. So I just have so much respect for them and the way that they carried themselves and... They were obviously great footballers because they wouldn't be playing for England if they weren't. But I think for me, it was more about them as people. I'd like to talk about the the leadership duty that you had, you know, from a younger age now developing up into sort of a senior women's captain. And we had um, an episode, one of the early episodes, Heather Knight, England cricket captain. And she talked about some of the experiences she had as a female athlete playing with boys as she was growing up. Did you have any experiences like that which you have vivid memories of that maybe shaped how you are today? Yeah, I think obviously at the time when I was just starting to play football, there wasn't really that many women's teams. Um, So Mm. my natural journey was playing with the lads on the field at school or at home in the street. And for me, I would always encourage the girls to play with the lads because to be honest, that I think that's where I get my competitiveness from and my aggression is because you had to be that to kind of, you're either going to sink or you're going to swim. And I think to be like that and to really push yourself against the lads who are probably physically are more stronger than that I was when I was younger. But I knew technically I was probably on the same level as them. So for me, I kind of use it as a challenge. And I think that's probably where, when I'm talking about competitiveism, will, will to win, that's probably where that all stems from, them experiences when, when I was younger. I, I had moments when I was growing up and... And it sounds quite an arrogant thing to say, but obviously you are to get to, your, to the top of your sport. But there's moments, like pain drop moments, where you, I suddenly realise I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm, I think I'm really good. When did those penny drop moments happen for you? Do, you? do you recall any of those times you'd be playing with the lads, or they might have given you some stick, and you're like, I'm, I'm better than these boys, you know? Do you remember when that happened? When you realised you were good. <laughs> you know what? I know. I kind of know what you're saying because I think there is some moments, and I think you know when everybody has that fear when you're um, getting picked on a school team, and you're like, oh, I'm going to yeah. be last. I'm going to last when you're starting to kind of creep up the order and it's mm. not like you're not getting picked last you may be getting picked third or second choice in a, in a football team I'm like actually these lads actually rate us and <laughs> yeah. and you kind of get that little bit more confident which is always good and I think I mean I was very fortunate to grow up in in the northeast and they absolutely love their football and that was pretty much the sport that everybody kind of got drawn to on a Saturday or a Sunday, whether that was local or towards Sunderland. And they were very, very like supportive of a female playing football at the time. And it probably, it was only me and my cousin Amy that really played. There wasn't that many other girls that did. And to be accepted onto them teams and to kind of, for them to embrace my journey, even though at the time we didn't know where it was going to go, was was pretty special and I've got them to thank a lot really. Were you a captain at a young age? Or was it something that was just thrown on you at senior level? Um, It was more, I was for the school team, the girls team, but I think it was mainly just because I was probably the best player and that sounds really big headed. But Is probably, that with the boys as well you're talking about yeah. now? Like, yeah, nice. But then I think it was when I started to go into the England age groups around when I was probably 16, 17. I think the coaches probably knew I was going to make it into the senior team. So I think they wanted to kind of give us that experience of leading. And I think the way that I play is I always try and lead by example anyway. So I think it was something they probably seen in us that they wanted to develop over the next few years. I actually remember when I was when I was coming up playing uh, football. So I think we're similar age. So we used to have like a boys team and there would always have to be a girl in there. 
what what were the boys like when you were named as captain then? Did they take that okay? Because you'd imagine back then, 20 years ago, perhaps, maybe maybe more than that, that that would be quite unusual to have a girl captain of boys team. Were you captain of the boys team when you, when you mentioned that? Yeah, I mean, I don't think they were too happy. There was always some of them, especially the better players. Like we had a, a few of the boys that played at Middlesbrough Academy, Sunderland Academy, and they were oh, kind of getting... Yeah. yeah, so... But I think when the game gets going, it's fine and probably a little bit of... For me, probably experiencing what parents used to say. I think it wasn't necessarily the boys. It was more what their parents were saying about why isn't their son captain or why isn't their son playing and there's a girl playing. I think you kind of had them issues. And I think my mum and dad, to be honest, were really good in the sense that they always kind of kept them conversations quite private and never let me kind of be exposed to that because I think if I was to have heard that, I think... You could either go one one or two ways, couldn't you, really? You could either go, oh, actually, no, I don't want to play, let him play kind of thing. But I think because I'm quite stubborn as well, I was like, OK, it doesn't matter. As long as I'm playing football, I don't actually care. So you have mentioned that you know what the captain's compass is, which is great. I don't have to explain it to you, which is nice. So I'd love to ask you now, actually, we're sort of just sort of meandering towards that sort of captaincy question. What now? You've obviously got so much experience, like crazy career, so much experience. What would you have? What four traits would you like to put on your captaincy compass? Okay, so I've actually thought about this quite a lot. Oh, nice. On mine would be having an influence, balance, leading by example and controlling what you can control. I think there's so many different ways that you can have influence. And for me, obviously, first and foremost, it's on the pitch. What can I do to influence my team to win? How can I get the best out of the players around us? But also, I think off the pitch, we there's so much that have changed in terms of our contracts, the commercial side of women's football, and how can we influence that to benefit the next generation of player? And I think over this last 10 years, I feel as though I have had a lot of influence on that and which I'm I'm proud of, but there's still a long way to go. So that would be my first one's been been influential, yeah. Love that. I said be balanced. I think as a captain you're in a bit of a you're in a position of strength, but also in a position of huge responsibility and you are that connection between the team, but also the coaches and the managers and maybe people higher up. And I think for me, I think players and being on that other side of it where you are a player and not a captain, all you need is consistency from from your captain. And I think yeah. if you'll be able to provide that every single day in terms of how you are with people, first and foremost, bringing energy, being approachable, but also getting that balance of when we do win, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not about being so high, but when we lose, you can't be too low and, and affect the mood. So I think I've learned that, especially over the last few years, when you probably aren't having as much influence on the pitch. It's about being in and around the girls and being that same person because when you're with each other 24-7, it's little things get noticed and they get made into bigger <laughs> things. I'm sure you understand that, Sam, being in a room full of lads. Well, no, I think you make a really good point about like being consistent because I mean, that's, why, sorry, that's why I smiled and laughed because, like... And you've, I'm sure you've seen it in your environment. We'd have like a big game one week, and suddenly, like, say the, the coaches are all in leadership roles, and the coaches would just be like, their emotions just suddenly through the roof, and then they're barking even more. And I'm thinking, 
oh, c- calm down now. Like you can't just suddenly spike all of a sudden this one week and then come back down the next week. So yeah. I smile because I like that one. And I used to try and do that myself. It's like I always wanted to be quite measured and calm. Like like balance is like a nice way where you worded that. So I, I do agree. <laughs> that's, that's a good point now. I agree. And in terms of leading by example... I think it's always something that I've kind of done as a player anyway, regardless of the armband. But when you're visible and people look up to you and your teammates are always kind of looking up to what the captain does, I think it is important that I remain professional. I'm probably the first in uh, the gym, last out of training, doing the little bits of extras, doing the ice bath recovery. And literally when it comes to being on the pitch, just making sure that you give it absolutely everything and... Once people see their captain doing that, I think that's when you kind of can drive change and you can drive influence in that way. And probably something that I learned quite early on in my captaincy was controlling what you can control. I'm a bit of a worrier um, and I tended to worry about what other people were doing and whether they were doing their recovery, whether they were eating the right things. And I did waste a lot of energy in that sense in terms of worrying about what other, other people were doing. And I had to kind of just strip it all back and be just like, look, at the end of the day, the adults, they can, they will prepare how they want to prepare. And it's not going to be a reflection of you as a captain, whether people do different things. And I think for me, just using all my energy and using all my focus on what I can control, which is me first and foremost, and how I communicate to the rest of the team. How how old were you then when you first got into the England setup? What was that like? Because that was that quite a daunting experience when you finally get that that England call up. How old were you when you first went in? Sixteen. Oh my goodness! Yes. Yeah, so God, how did that first, feel? I think I got called off off standby, and we had a game in Germany away, and at the time Germany were the best team in the world so to be able to be called up to that camp and to be meeting up in London obviously I knew I knew a lot of the girls just through my younger age groups yeah. but I think nothing can really prepare you for going into that senior environment where no. all you've ever dreamed of is playing for England and you're playing with some of your heroes so I think nervous is probably an understatement but once you get a taste of that environment all I knew was that I wanted more of it and it just kind of spurred us on even more to be honest. So what about captaincy? When did your first captaincy experience come back with England? And did you feel ready for it when it came? I got made captain when I was 25. So that was Mark... Uh, 2014 we're talking now, wasn't it? Yeah, Yeah, 2014. So we'd literally just had the new manager, Mark Sampson, come in. It was quite interesting because his first camp, a few camps before, I was kind of like on the periphery um, because you won't believe it, but I used to play left back and we started to get a few more left backs in and... I didn't really nail down a position and it was something that probably my move to Manchester City kind of helped me because I knew I was going to go and play centre-half. So that first camp with Mark, I was like really nervous because I was like, I don't really know what he's going to see us as. I played midfield at Arsenal as well. So I never, ever expected to kind of be seen as a potential leader for the group coming up because... We had so many older players. I think similar to you, Sam, I think in terms of I got the captaincy when I was young and I had players that had over 100 caps and Mm. it played in all these championships, World Cups and had rightfully so much more experience than me and probably every right to have that armband and to have that conversation with the coach to even be considered. it It became a shock, to be honest. So 
I was going to ask you, like, how did you cope with that? Because my honest answer is I, I probably didn't really cope with it very well. Um, like you, you mentioned I was young. I was 22. And wow. I, I reckon I handled it really poorly for the first year. Like, I just, every hour I was walking around, I just felt this, like, crazy responsibility everywhere. And I don't think, I look back as well, I, like, cringe. Like, I wouldn't have been a good captain either. Did you cope okay then? Be, you mentioned some 100 cappers. Mm-hmm. And you do, you, you walk around with this sort of, like, you feel you have this sort of inferiority kind of complex. Like, oh, people looking at me and judging me and thinking I'm not good enough. And I had all these negative thoughts going in my head all the time rather than just run with it and back myself. How, how did you cope with that then when you were going through that and you had senior players sort of above you in the team, but you're now named as a relative, which is young, in your mid-20s as a young captain? Yeah, I mean, I think once I knew I was captain and obviously it's probably the best moment of my career as being named England captain, but I think the next six months is something where I look back now and I would never ever change but at the same time, I'm like, I probably regret how I was and how I did think then. Because when I mention about big players, we had the likes of Farrell Williams, who was England's most capped player, that I know that she was potentially an option to be captain. And I think once you are named that, I'm like, oh, my God, how is she going to feel? Or yeah, how is the previous captain going to feel about a 25-year-old with not really that much experience coming in and captain the country with where the game is going. And I think for me, Sam, I think the biggest thing that I tried to do was try to get everybody to like us so that I end up trying to be someone that I wasn't going to be. And my performance on the pitch was the thing that suffered. I wasn't playing my best football because a lot of my energy was wasted on thinking about what people would think that, you know, when you're saying are people judging you, that's what I think I felt. Everything that I was doing... I was made sure I was extra early for meetings. I was making sure that I was trying my best in training. But that was the things that I would always do anyway. So just because I had an armband, I didn't have to kind of go even more so that way. And for me, I really had to strip it back down to basics. In the first six months, we had a psychologist joined and I think he could tell that I wasn't wasn't feeling as comfortable as I should do. And it's a huge responsibility and it's a responsibility that brings pressure, but... I think it's how you kind of perceive that and I perceived it wrongly in that six months. And for me, it was just going back to basics and recognising what the manager kind of seen in me to kind of choose me to be captain, really. When did you start feeling comfortable? I reckon it took me maybe two or three years since I suddenly thought, oh, no, yeah, I'm I'm the best guy to do this. How long did it take you until you felt really comfortable and that you owned that role? I think for me, um, so I got the captaincy in 2014. I think it was World Cup 2015, which was yeah. a huge tournament for the women's game, but for England team itself, but for me personally, to be able to captain your country at a, a major tournament and to be the most successful England team and to be a massive part of that and play the way that I did, I started to enjoy the role a lot more and I did get pushed out of my comfort zones and a lot of things. Uh, I know that, I think it was Martin O'Neill was saying in your previous podcast that he didn't really like speaking in front of people when he first got the captaincy. And for me, that was a big thing. I'm a huge talker on the pitch, but in front of 20, 25 of your teammates in a big room and trying to deliver team talks or trying to really kind of express your opinions, I did find that quite tough. But in 2015, I got massively pushed out of my comfort zone and before every game, I would have to speak in front of all the staff and all the players just to kind of show how much it meant to me and how much it would mean to everybody and what we have to do. And at the time, you're thinking, oh, hated the manager for making us do it and you're kind of like cursing him a little bit. But (laughs) 
I understand now why he did that for me and I will be forever grateful for developing that side of the, a leadership because some leaders are quiet, some leaders are all shouty, they're aggressive, but to have a bit of both was really something that helped me develop. But once we got that bronze medal in 2015, I was like, okay, this is, I'm, I'm starting to enjoy the captaincy and you start to realise what you're good at and what you need to lean on people with. You're listening to Captains with me and my guest, Steph Horton. Did you use the sport psychologist that you mentioned? Yeah, uh, quite a lot, to be honest. I think that was a game changer for me. As a person, I'm not really a person that kind of tells people how I feel that, that much. I'm quite good at hiding stuff and putting on a brave face and being a bit selfless like that when I'm around different people. But he really brought out the best of me and really stripped down what I wanted to be as a captain and what I kind of wanted people to see me as and kind of the, some of the stuff that I spoke about in, in terms of just leading by example and having an influence were two of the bigger things. How did that come about? Did you search for him or did he come to you? Because I always find that those first kind of um, interactions you get with that sports psychologist are quite interesting. I sort of stumbled across my one and then mm-hmm. he offered to help me. Then I sort of started chatting to him in private and then I was like, oh my God, completely missing a trick by not doing <laughs> this. And I loved it. And they make they, they have a very good knack of just making you feel very comfortable in front of them that you can say anything do you remember the first interaction that you had and how the relationship developed and came about (laughs) yeah to be honest so the guy Adam Streeter was brought in to mainly develop the team to build the culture and to build the culture for not just the tournament but basically for the next two or three years and and I always remember him going come on skip we'll we'll meet up for a coffee in in St George's Park there's a Starbucks and we'd always all the girls would be there and I'd be like oh Adam, I've got treatment. And he'd be like, you haven't because I've checked. And I got kind of forced into a corner and I knew that I needed to do it. But that first step was really hard because I knew kind of that I would have to really talk about how I was really feeling. And I never really did that. And I think sometimes as a leader, you don't want to show that you're vulnerable because you've been given this responsibility. You're probably shown as this strong person. But for me to be able to show my vulnerabilities to him allowed me to be more vulnerable with the girls and I think people can then kind of relate to it because ultimately, at the end of the day, you're a person and you're a player on the team. So for the first few sessions, it was quite like, OK, strict, we must meet this time. We must meet every two or three days on camp. But then it becomes kind of quite natural. And I tended to always meet with them the night before a game just to kind of be clear on my messaging for the team but also what my role is in terms of the game plan and that really helped me relax before a game in terms of there was nothing else to worry about I'd done all the hard work before and I could just then go and enjoy it really I want to talk about injuries a bit something I know (laughs) a lot about (laughs) and you've experienced your fair share of injuries as well and it's a really interesting dynamic how people approach it like I remember games I I was I was a captain but I get injured so I think right I'm just gonna completely step back I'm not gonna speak in team meetings I'm just still just going to be as professional as I can around the team and there's no right or wrong way and sometimes I might speak a little bit but what what were you like when you were injured how hard did you find it being injured as a captain oh, I, I found it really tough every I've obviously had a, had my Achilles over the last two years and it seemed to happen when we've got big moments in the season and you probably know Sam the best thing you can do is influence on the pitch and 
in terms of captaincy, that's the the one thing that you probably hang your hat on that you could you can help the team in some way. So when that's kind of taken away from you and you're in the gym by yourself, you're not involved in the banter with the girls and you're not in and around it, you do feel a little bit like useless in a way. And I know that your teammates probably don't see like that, but especially over the last season and I was doing my rehab away from Man City, I did feel a little bit out of it and I didn't feel as though I could influence as much and... I kind of then process, okay, well, what kind of influence? And that might be more on an individual basis, whether that's over the phone, checking in with people. When I am in and around the games, just maybe praising people, being positive and trying to create that energy. But yeah, I'm I'm not going to lie and say that it was easy because it wasn't, because I'm very hands-on and I like to be involved and I like to be heard and I like to lead that way. But I just had to try a different way and whether it worked or not, I don't know, but I think I felt a lot better for, for doing that. What's the most difficult injury you've had to endure? Well, major injuries I've done, I did my ACL in 2009, which was tough because of probably how long the rehab takes. That's probably the, the hardest part about it. But if I'm being honest, my Achilles one, my last one, was tough for so many different reasons. First of all, Achilles is quite slow and I'd already done a back-to-back rehab with that. And mm. in terms of, from a mental point of view, that was really hard to kind of accept that I had to get it operated on and I had to do the same rehab all over again. But I think within that period of rehab, trying to fight back to get into an England team, given an opportunity, not being taken, then to see the girls actually win which was always my dream was to lift a trophy with England and know how much that's kind of pushed the women's game on, which is absolutely amazing. But from a personal point of view, that was really, really, really hard to take. And it's probably still taking us still to probably this day to try and get over that in terms of the journey I have been on. And sometimes you think, oh, it's just unfair. It's It just mustn't have meant to be. But I'm like, that journey was just so hard to kind of get in my head that and you always want to know why, and I'll never, ever know that reason, which is probably the hardest thing. I'm not going to try and make out what I went through on this example was anything like yours. Yours was a, a much higher profile example. But I finished in 2018, and in 2019, Wales were going for the Grand Slam in the Six Nations. But I was retired, and I was doing a game for the TV, and I was walking my dog in the morning trying to go into Cardiff to do the TV. And I remember turning around the stage and thinking, oh, someone asked, would I want to be here walking the dog or playing a game? Where would I rather be? And I was a little bit like bitter at that moment in time. Nobody would have known it, just in my own head. Mm -hmm. I remember thinking, I'd rather be a walking the dog. I'm not interested. I don't care if they win. And they were still like all my teammates kind of playing because at this time I was 29, 30. I I finished quite young. But I went into the stadium and um, Wales won and they won the championship. And I was actually really happy, which I was kind of pleased that my natural emotion was, oh, great, they Mm -hmm. won. Because I thought I was like, oh, no, I'm not interested. You're in this weird state when you've just recently retired. And somebody weirdly thought of tweeting me I didn't know this person from Adam had no idea they were but I just saw my Twitter and they said um he obviously I obviously just crossed his mind he said I know you're probably not expecting this tweet Sam but this win I still think has a massive amount to do with yourself because you've been part of this team for so long and I remember at the time thinking oh that's that's really nice that he's randomly taking the time to think that but I think that with yourself and it might be hard to think now because you weren't there and you want to be there to lift the trophy but your influence for England has been enormous for, for the eight years mm-hmm. prior. Well, more than the eight years. Eight years was as captain. So you probably see the Euros and think, oh, I, I don't feel part of that success. But to someone like myself from the outside who looks in at the England and the Lionesses, I see yourself as still a, a huge influence on the girls achieving in 2022. 
how hard or, or easy was it to watch that 2022? And do you feel that you can take any credit for the foundation blocks that you put in for the decades before that? Um, it was hard. It was it was a hard watch, and I think because I was my whole rehab was revolved around making that Euro squad, and you kind of pushing boundaries, you're pushing limits, you're pushing time scales because. I'm not going to not do that because I love playing for my country and I wanted to be there and I feel as though I could have an influence within the squad and whether that might not be from playing, but especially with my experience of tournaments over the last few years, um, I feel as though I could have had a positive effect, but it wasn't meant to be. But I think them first three or four weeks, I went straight on holiday when I knew I wasn't going. I was like, we need to get out of England. I need to just get away. I need to be with my family like even though they're absolutely devastated for me as well and know how hard I've worked to get at this point and we always thought it was going to be a different outcome it was it was important to get away with them but obviously then you come back and the Euro hypes everywhere obviously Manchester was one of the host cities in the Euros so it's not as if when I'm at home I can kind of escape it so I kind of just said to myself I'm gonna have to embrace it a little bit yeah and of course I supported the girls I mean I watched every single game. There was my Man City teammates that were there. That there was there was a lot of them. My best friend was playing, so of course we want them to win and to see them win was absolutely amazing. And I mean, I was the first to probably congratulate everybody. That's nice. We had all the England photos up in the the changing room when all the girls came back for pre season after their holidays. So we had it was important to celebrate that success because you are proud of your friends. But I think in terms of looking back on. The influence I've had probably on that win, I don't think I can do that yet. I really don't. And I know a lot of people are like, why haven't you had your name within that win? And I'm like, well, because I'm still a player and maybe when I do retire, I can look back and know that. I know that I made positive changes for the women's game and for young girls growing up and, and had that influence over them tournaments, which led us to a to a massive win. But at this moment, I can't just settle. I just need to keep playing what I'm doing, just keep focused on my football and maybe one day get a shot at playing for England again, which would be the dream. But at this moment in time, it's just all about trying to play for Manchester City. I, I actually love that mindset because when I retired, you don't remember the good stuff. You kind of think of the bads if you retire. But the one reassuring thing is, I guess I could tell you, is I've played for five, six years. You do start remembering more of the good bits, you know, when you when you yeah, finish. Because uh-huh. when you're in the moment now, you just want to know how to get better and what you can do next. And that's just the elite mindset that you get in. How did you find out when you weren't going to the Euros? Do you remember that? So we had like a 10-day camp. And um, I think there was a squad of maybe like... 27 28 and she was only taken 23 and we had our final training session and we got called up into a room so you got a message and you just had to go and see uh, the manager and the assistant coach and I just had, you know what Sam I, I had a feeling for a few days to be honest probably maybe even longer than that if I'm being really honest that I probably wasn't going to go and I wasn't really in our plans but you don't really know until they actually actually says them words so to be in that room, I think I just wanted to get out as quick as possible. And it was pretty awkward, to be honest, because the squad was actually getting announced within the next two or three hours. So there was loads of journalists. And I don't know whether you've been to St. George's Park, but there's only one way in and one way out. And I had to try and get my car. The security officer tried to get my car so I could just get home as quick as possible without anybody seeing us. And to be honest, I, I phoned my husband and he couldn't believe it. I phoned my agent and... 
obviously my mum and dad and I don't even remember that car journey back to Manchester from St George's because I think you just your head's in a bit of a blur I think especially with the way that I'd come back from my rehab and I just needed to hit certain points and I hit every certain point which I needed to hit and to get that news was heartbreaking to be honest. It's a hard place to be injured and um, I remember coming back when I had like a sort of sabbatical kind of six to 12 months I was trying to come back from injury and I do remember and I, and I laughed when I read this quote you said because I thought of myself and, and you said um, I must have been the shittest wife ever and I, and I laughed <laughs> because I remember thinking at one point I had to sort of smack myself oh. across the face but maybe about three months had gone by and I remember thinking if I stayed like this forever there's no way my wife will stay with me because I was so oh, so driven to get back. So like everything, you, your life revolves around getting back. What sort of habits were you referring to when you said that? What did you have to put yourself through? Because for us sports people, it's quite normal, the injury things. But I guess people outside of pro sport don't appreciate maybe the sacrifice that you go mm-hmm. through. What were you referring to when you said you were the, the shittest wife ever? Which I'm sure you weren't. But I'd just <laughs> like to know what's going through your mind. I just... I just think like a normal day, like did I put time aside to be a normal person and be with Stephen and to have them two or three hours where we could go and do something. But my whole day was revolved around training. It was either revolving around my rehab exercises. So a typical day would be I would get up at half six in the morning. I would get on the bike in my conservatory, in my little homemade gym that I've got. I would do a walk bike session. I'd get a shower. I'd quickly get some breakfast. I'd then say bye, I'd drive to crew, I'd spend probably five, six hours at crew with a physio doing my rehab exercises, my strengthening, maybe a pitch session. I'd come back, I'd be like, okay, that's not enough for me. I need to do another session. So I would do upper body conditioning just to try and save my legs. I would just do anything I possibly could. Then it would be ice bath, then it would be recovery pumps. And I'm thinking, oh my God, this is so attractive. You must be thinking, oh my God, like... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> what is going on but I think with Stephen having been a footballer himself I think he understood that I had to sacrifice something to try and make this goal that I thought was realistic but in hindsight was probably never going to be realistic and I needed just to give it everything and I sit now and I'm thinking I couldn't have done any more it was what it was and I sacrificed a lot I s- sacrificed not being a club to go and do my rehab away from here I sacrificed family time but I would never change that because ultimately I love the sport and I love playing football. But yeah, I probably still was the shittest wife. You would never probably admit that, but I probably was. <laughs> <laughs> You're quite lucky, I think, to, to, to both have each other, you and Stephen. Like you said, he played, so he'd understand. Mm-hmm. What, who is in your sort of, say like when you're injured and you're going through moments which aren't good, who is in your support network? Stephen sounds like he's been amazing. Who do you go to and speak to when, like like whether it's injury or a loss or things like that, who's in your support network that you trust? So obviously my, my dad probably, just because he gets football and he understands and he'll just come at it from a different perspective in terms of not just from what he thinks is right for me, just more in terms of the game itself. My agent probably gets a lot of phone calls in terms of us probably just letting off steam and which is, I really appreciate that because I don't really sometimes want to bring that home and I don't want to be kind of like just moaning all the time if the session's not been good enough or I'm frustrated with how things are. And of course, some of my teammates, but I'm very conscious of trying to offload on them a little bit I think 
you can sometimes and you can do that with the ones that you really trust but it's important that you allow them to be ready for what they need to do and be ready to win as well so I think as you get a little bit older that circle becomes a little bit smaller and you have to really trust them people that they're going to give you the best advice that's best for us and not just kind of just kind of like be what I want to hear really and I think those people are ones that I kind of get the best information from and the best advice from really. Love that. You spoke about a lot of the sacrifices you have to make and some of the the not so glamorous sides of being a pro sports person like we've all been through selection injury but it's worth going through all that when you get the good bits. When I say like the best moments of your career what it might not even be on the pitch it might be something off the pitch but what's the first thing that comes to the front of your mind if I said what's been your best moment as a captain? Probably 2015 winning that bronze medal with England was unbelievable mainly because there was just no expectation and to work with that group of people and not like the memories that we created on the pitch but to be in Canada for six seven weeks and to be able to gel and to know that the culture that we had was something that we all really thrived upon which was amazing and to inspire so many people back home and to know that you've had influence on that is that was massive and I think as well probably lifting trophies at Wembley to be able to lift three FA Cups at Wembley Stadium, the home of football, was unbelievable in front of all your friends and family and live on television. But I think getting an MBE, which was a massive, massive surprise off the pitch, was a huge deal. And that was mainly for my family, that one, I think. I'd never ever, you would probably never sit as a sports person and go, actually, I want some sort of honour from the Queen. And to be able to go to Buckingham Palace with Stephen, my mum and dad, my grandma, my brother was a special day. And I think I've sacrificed a lot of time away from them. So to get them to have that day was amazing. I agree with you. Um, And it's something I would probably refer to as well, because it's, it's kind of... You kind of know you have an influence in football, but I think when you say when you got your MBE, it makes you realise that your influence has transcended women's football and your influence has gone way beyond that. It's crossed many borders, you know, mm-hmm. generations, you know, genders, it doesn't matter because you've been such an influential figure. So it's a very it's a very rewarding and kind of humbling feeling when you mm-hmm. get that. So I, I can that's a, that's a good one. I didn't expect that, but it's a good one. How would you like to think of of your own legacy when you finish? Um legacy. To be honest, in terms of a player, I just want to be known as a player that gave absolutely everything, no matter what situation and for what team. And someone that always would do whatever it took to win. And I think that, in terms of my captaincy as well, that's someone that always put the team first and always just wanted the team to win, no matter what that situation is. But the role that I've been given over the last 10 years is just leaving the game in a better place. And if I can retire and know that We've made great strides and those little girls now have a a chance of being a professional footballer and they don't have to fight the way that we had to fight. Uh, I feel as though I've done my job. Well, I've got a six-year-old girl now and the the thought that she could look up to someone like yourself is really nice for me. And it's probably hard for you to say yourself, but I think you've been amazing over the last... 10, 15 years in your, in your football career and someone like yourself has been a massive inspiration to not just girls playing sport but everybody so your contribution to women's football has been enormous so thanks for sharing Oh no, I've enjoyed that thank you No problem thanks Steph pleasure to have you on and yeah see you soon again no doubt Thank you Thank you so much to Steph for her time. I really enjoyed catching up with her. Plenty of great insights there. It was great to pick her brains on injury, something that I've experienced myself. 
and the disappointment of missing out on Euro 2022, but the resilience she's shown is a real testament to her leadership and personality. I enjoyed hearing her challenges of having to lead in a dressing room full of more senior players and it's something that everyone experiences, no matter what your line of work. And as Steph said, you can waste energy worrying about what others think and as a result your own performance can drop off. You always think there are people better placed to have leadership roles, but learning how to collaborate, communicate and integrate people with different viewpoints and ways of working is vital to achieving success, something that Steph has done consistently through her career. Okay, almost done for this week. Please keep your messages coming in, either via captains at crowdnetwork.co.uk or by using the hashtag CaptainsPods on social media. And make sure you are following us on LinkedIn too. Just search for Captains with Sam Warburton. There is a nice community growing there, so do get involved. And don't forget, if you subscribe to Crowd Sports Plus on Apple, you can get these episodes of Captains ad-free, as well as bonus content every week. You can also listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Next week, my guest is the man who delivered the London 2012 Games, double Olympic gold medalist and current president of World Athletics, Sebastian Coe. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you next week. Crowd Network, a place where you belong.